Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode has been a bit of an ordeal to put together and I'm saying that having not completely put it together because as I'm recording this I have not yet edited it. So I'm actually in the middle of this. I'm pretending that it's all done. And I hope that you will find this interesting and useful. What I'm going to do today is discuss harmony singing. I'm not going to go into every part of it. But I I do want to uh, at least express the basics of harmony singing and how it is typically... um, put into practice in the bluegrass world. So what I'm going to do is, first of all, suggest to you that you go to my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. When you go there, if you're looking at this in July of 2021, you will find a post there. It is my most recent post. And attached to that post, I have put a PDF document. And it's, I don't know, seven or eight pages. And this is the basic um, outline of what I'm going to discuss today. So what I'm saying is, it would probably be wise for you to go over there and find that And I think the post is titled Basics of Harmony Singing. I don't have it in front of me, but I think that's what I put. Go hit pause, go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. And it's free, by the way. You don't have to be a patron supporter in order to download this. This is public. It's a public post. Although, of course, you know, if you want to become a patron, uh, you know, that would be super appreciated as well, but you don't have to. So go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and download this little PDF document. You can have it on your tablet or you can just pull it up on the screen or you can print it out. That would be my suggestion. You know, I'm old school. I like paper and ink and pencil. If you have it in front of you as you listen to the rest of this, you can follow along and you can see what I'm actually talking about. This little document that is up there is a section of an ebook that I produced called Bluegrass Guitar 101. And I've peddled those for quite a few years. And the material that's in it is the exact material that I used to teach beginning bluegrass guitarists. Sometimes they would be absolute beginners who didn't play guitar at all or sometimes they were guitar players who were coming from another style and trying to learn the essence of bluegrass guitar. So I have this little book, Bluegrass Guitar 101. And for you budding guitarists, you know, you might want to check that out too. The download that is on Patreon is just a section that I included in that book. Uh, So go get it. And hit pause, go get it, and then come back and let's pick up and let's go through the basics of harmony singing. Okay, I assume you now have your 
your uh, document in hand. And if you don't, you can go get it later and you can re-listen to this. What I'm going to do is go through. I, I, by the way, I'm out here in the hut in the ham shack and I'm surrounded by paper. I've got my guitar over here. I've got all these tracks queued up. I've spent the last two days uh, trying to find good examples to illustrate some of these things. So for you lawyers in the audience or, or anybody who might be in a lawsuit type of mind, I am claiming fair use for educational and commentary purposes for the tracks, which you are about to hear. And I'm going to insert them throughout. And, you know, you may hear some people that you haven't heard before. And you may um, discover some things about bluegrass that you didn't know. And, you know, knowledge is power. That's all I'm going to say there. So let's now, if you have your document there, Basics of Harmony Singing, I'm going to kind of be reading this and then just expanding on it a little bit and then uh, playing you some examples. I even have my guitar over here. The old, oops, hit the chair with it. The old 86 uh, D28 herringbone there. It's a, it's a, you know, pretty average sounding Martin. I'm, I'm not dissatisfied with it at all. Um, it's not the greatest one I've ever heard, but I like it. Anyway, I'm going to use that to play these various harmony parts. And let me also state at the outset here, my purpose in this episode, as you're listening to it, is not to teach you how to sing bluegrass harmonies. My purpose is to inspire you to take bluegrass harmony singing a little more seriously and do the homework necessary to put some spit and polish and some shine on your singing. Because I'm just going to tell you the absolute fact. You don't have to be a great singer. Being a great singer is a wonderful thing. I, I'm not knocking great singers, but average singers can do this. And if you take some average singers and you apply a little knowledge, a little information, a little care into what you're doing, you will sound so much better. And you will almost approach the status of those great singers, those people born with pipes. You know, the John Cowans of the world, you know, everybody isn't that, but I've heard some great bands who sounded really sweet when they're singing, who were not the John Cowans of the world. And you can do that too. And you're missing a wonderful opportunity in two areas. Number one, when you sing together with other people and harmonize it creates a new thing that didn't exist before. You can sit around singing all you want to. You can sit on your bar stool at the Mexican restaurant and blast out your tunes. But until you mash your voice up against someone else and interlock those waveforms and create that harmonic, it, it, it can't be done without two or more voices. You're creating a new entity. And that is the harmony. 
So you don't get to experience that. That's number one. And number two, your audience doesn't get to experience it. If you don't put the care in and you don't put the time in and you don't make the effort to learn a little something. And as an example, throughout this little document, which I hope you have in your hand, you see standard music notation. I have notated the pitches that I want you to look at and listen to and try singing I've in standard notation. This is kindergarten standard notation. If you don't know how to read standard notation, find out. Put the time in. You need, you know, I'm not going to walk you through this. Uh, uh, this episode is not meant to be a course in harmony singing. It's meant to get you off your butt and make you do the work yourself. So I will point you to some things, you know, and I, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm just saying that you must apply yourself. If you look at a page full of music and you don't understand it, go find out how to understand it. And I'm going to try to help you here, but I'm not going to teach you everything about this. I just want to illustrate kind of the magnificence of good harmony singing. And I want to, with an asterisk, say that you don't have to be a great singer. You just have to be a good singer who cares. And if you're that, you can make some amazing sounds. So here we go. I will now turn to the document, uh, Basics of Bluegrass Harmony. And this may sound like I'm reading it because a lot of it I'm just going to read to you and then go off on little tangents here and there. So the first section is Bluegrass Harmony. This teaches the basics of bluegrass style harmonizing. You can use this information to sort out singing duets, that's lead and tenor, and trio harmonies, which is lead, tenor, and baritone. Some songs are easier to work out the harmonies than others. I am going to use one of the most simple melodies in this book, and the book I'm referring to is the Bluegrass Guitar 101. I'm going to use one of the most simple melodies in the book, as our example so that you can understand the principles which create the magic of harmony singing. Now, let me uh, take a little uh, tangent here. And what is harmony? Harmony. If, if you study um, sound, you will discover that a sound wave contains multiple parts. No, it doesn't have to. You could have a sound wave that is a pure sine wave, nothing but the fundamental frequency. But in the real world, if you knock on a bell or a banjo or a wash tub or blow a note on a trumpet, you produce a series of waveforms. You have the fundamental and then you have the harmonic content of that wave. Every instrument, every voice produces different harmonics. And I think I did an episode about this. I can't remember. It's been probably two years ago. Might have been the one I was talking about um, strings and stuff. I started talking about harmonics. But do a little research on sound waves and what is a harmonic. And the essence of harmony singing is that if you take two different notes two different tones. I mean, this will be the most crude definition ever. 
you hear a tone and you hear another tone and together they sound good. I mean, that, that is about as, that's the paleo definition of harmony. Two tones simultaneously interacting produces a good sound. So, you know, walk up to a piano, hit a note, hit another note. Do they sound good together? If so, you have a harmony. Now, I suppose you could say, if they don't sound good, you have a, a dissonance, uh, which is kind of the anti-harmony. Uh, you know, I'll give you that. But just think of harmony singing as stacking up multiple pitches and allowing those sound waves to interact, or as Bill Monroe would say, to mash together. And it produces things which are not, I mean, they are, it produces things which are not present in any of the individual parts. In other words, the sum is greater than its parts. Because if you have a harmonic, uh, one person is singing note A, not, not the A note, but A note, and another person singing note B, and then you combine those two, you produce a third waveform caused by the interaction of these two notes that is harmonic resonance, harmonic interaction. That is harmony. And you only get this when you put them together. You have to, you have, to have at least two notes, two pitches, two tones to create a harmony. Now, harmony can go much greater than that. So, you know, go to a, go to a symphony orchestra and listen to the, uh, the many, many notes tones happening at the same time and you'll hear very complex harmony listen to a barbershop quartet typically four people you're going to hear four tones that's going to produce a more complex harmonic uh, result than a trio which would simplify that somewhat or a duet which would simplify it even more when you're solo while there is harmonic content in your solo voice, it doesn't interact with other sounds, except perhaps your instrument, if you're playing your guitar and you're singing solo, you know, in a sense, you're harmonizing with other notes played on your guitar. So all right, that's enough about what is harmony. It is extremely important. Let's go back. I'll never get through this if I don't continue. I'm, I've, all, I've spent how many minutes? And I haven't even got through to the second paragraph. Second paragraph. In bluegrass, there are generally three singing parts. Not always, but that's the standard procedure, trios. If you are singing the melody, you are called the lead singer. And we would say you're singing lead. So lead is nothing but the melody of the song. If you sing a song by yourself, then you're the lead singer. If you add a second vocal part in bluegrass, creating a duet, you will generally add a part just above the lead melody. So the, the, this is called the tenor part. In a moment, I'll explain how you find the tenor part above the lead singer's melody. And this is something that a lot of girl uh, singers with low levels of experience should understand. You know, a lot of people just simply think of, well, let me, I'll come back to that. The third vocal part in bluegrass is found just below the melody 
or lead, and it is called baritone. So in bluegrass, the terminology is lead in the middle, tenor above, baritone below. Got it? Lead, tenor above, baritone below. That is the standard trio. Now, that is very different than standard uh, uh, choral music. You may have seen, um, or if you ever sang in a choir or was in a chorus in school, you would see S-A-T-B, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And there would be generally four parts, well, always four parts in S-A-T-B choral music. Soprano on top, alto below that, tenor below that, and bass at the bottom. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass, S-A-T-B. You'll see that in church hymnals. Uh, your church choir probably sings SATB. The thing about SATB is that it is not defined which one of those four parts sings the melody. Like, happy birthday to you, that's the melody. Which part is singing that? Is it the soprano? Is it the tenor? Maybe the altos have that. Maybe, maybe they'll let the basses do it. So it's not defined as to who sings the melody. But in bluegrass, they call it lead. Lead simply means melody. So that's where it all starts in bluegrass. Somebody sings the melody to the song. And then you simply stack a part above it. That's the tenor. And one below it, that's the baritone. And you have your classic bluegrass trio generally sung on the choruses of songs. Okay, let us now turn to an example of that. I'm going to get my little notes over here. <clears throat> this is example one. This is, um, I, I just started digging through my records. Uh, this is a scratchy old 33 and a third RPM uh, record album. I have hundreds of them. I've talked about them in, in, in an episode. I think one time I just pulled out stacks of them and read, it, read them off to you. This is one of them. And on my turntable that Darlene and Jackson <laughs> bought me, because the one I had, I loaned to a guy I never got back. And anyway, here is an example. This is just a good example. I'm not going to say it's the greatest example because there are thousands of examples in bluegrass music of this type of trio singing. So let's listen. This is the Country Gentleman. This is a song called Blue Ridge Mountains Turning Green. And it's on an album that I bought at a festival playing with the Country Gentleman. Cedar Hill was playing the same festival and they had this record on their table and I picked it up. It's called Sit Down Young Stranger. It's on Sugar Hill. It's Sugar Hill 3712. It came out in 1980. The lead singer you will hear is Charlie Waller, the mainstay of the country gentleman. Um, the tenor singer is Doyle Lawson. And the baritone singer is Bill Yates, who generally played bass with the country gentleman. So that's a trio. I'll let you go dig up the record so you can find out who all the other personnel are. But the singers are Charlie Waller, lead, right in the middle, 
Doyle Lawson, tenor, so he's one notch above the lead. And Bill Yates, baritone, which is one notch below the lead. So listen to this. That's just, that's just fine singing right there. Now let's go back to the document. We're still on the first page. This, this might be a long episode. Chords are the essence of harmony. So now I'm going to try to teach you a little bit about how you do what you just heard. As you know, from observing a guitar player, they're often playing chords, but what exactly is a chord? A chord is when three different notes are played or sung at the same time. You can, by the way, tangent, you can watch my little free mandolin video, but it's good for everybody, called What is a Chord? Go to bradleylaird.com, dig around in the mandolin section, and you will find it. It's also on YouTube. has like, I don't know, like a million views or something. It's a lot. What is a chord? It's just three different notes played at the same time. To keep this simple, I want you to notice that throughout the book, I've written the chords above the music. Here's an example. And if you have your little printout, you will then see boil them cabbage down in standard music notation. And you will notice that there are chord indications above various notes within that little tune. So it starts out the first measure is G, the second measure is C, the next measure is G. The next measure is D. That's the chord structure of the song. I'll continue reading. As you can see, the first measure is marked G. That means the band plays a G major chord. When singing, you would also sing notes of the G chord during that measure. Generally speaking. You do in this case. In the second measure, you can see that the chord changes to a C chord. 
then back to G, then it goes to D. In the song Boil Him Cabbage Down, the melody, written above, is always on a note found in the current chord. And that's why I picked this tune. This tune, Boil Him Cabbage Down, is so rudimentary, so simple, that every melody note is a chord tone of the chord that you're currently playing. So if you're playing G and then C and then G and then D, every melody note and every harmony note are notes of those chords. In the song Boiling Cabbage Down, the melody is always on a note found in the current chord. For example, in measure one, the melody sings a B note over a G chord. So look at your little notation there. And if you don't know how to read standard notation, you will now know how to read one note. That first note is a B natural, right where it says boil. That's a B. And it is harmonized by a G chord. So if you played a G chord and sang a B note, you would be able to sing boil, <laughs> and you'd be well on your way to harmonizing boiling cabbage down. All right, so what are the notes of a G chord? Turning the page. The G chord consists of three notes. Here they are. They are, let me, I'm gonna get my guitar, take the capo off. Set that over there. You have a G note and a B note and a D note. If you play those together, you will have a G chord. Unfortunately on the guitar, you can only do it down here, so I'll, I'll do it one octave lower. That's your G chord. Now you have six strings on a guitar, so the G chord is a little more complicated. And they're stacked a little different. But from a theoretical standpoint, a G major chord is nothing more than G, B, D, played simultaneously. And let's pretend for a moment that the melody of the song is a B note, as shown in measure two above. And let's assume that the chord progression calls for a G chord at that time. In order to create a three-part bluegrass-style harmony, the three singers would sing these three notes together. GBD. That is a G chord. The lead part is in the middle, singing the B note. The tenor takes the closest chord note above the lead and sings a D note. And the baritone sings the closest chord note below the lead and sings a G note. Now, let that sink in a little bit. Now, again, let me make this statement. I'm not trying to teach you how to do this. I just want you to hear this stuff and think about it and go, man, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, go figure it out. Take the time. And there are resources. If you're a mantle player, I'm not going to do a sales pitch for my stuff right now. Plenty of ways you can learn to understand this. If you don't understand what you see right here on this page 27, figure it out. Come on. You know, you want to you want to play good music? You want to understand what you're doing? Or do you want to just be a hack? You know? Okay. Next paragraph. You and two other people. By the way, 
I know you're not going to do this, but you should. No, no, some of you will do this, and you're the people who will become better musicians. You and two other people, that's you and two of your picking pals, should try singing that G chord. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to a rehearsal and said, let's just practice singing the G chord? I'll sing G because I have the lowest voice. You sing B because your voice is sort of in the middle. And you over there with the squeaky high voice will sing the D note, G, B, D. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just went, la, and tried to sing a G chord and tune it and make it sound good? No, you probably haven't. Now, you may have if you ever took a chorus class in high school because they made you do it because they knew it would make you into better singers. But what we tend to do is we just get around, we pick and we sing and we don't really care. But if you care, you will get better at it. You will learn how to tune up because slight pitch alterations in those three notes makes a drastic difference in the sound of that chord. Differences in the tone that you produce. Are you singing with an open mouth or a kind of a closed up mouth and it's coming out your nose and are you singing off the back of your front teeth? These things make different tonal sounds. And I would say it's a good idea for these three people who want to have the best sounding bluegrass trio that ever existed would be to sing G chords and C chords and A minor chords and E minor chords and D major chords and D7 chords and really, really, really try to tweak them, tuning them tonally and in pitch. If you do that, I'm telling you, you'll sound better. If you do this, you may discover that it makes sense to have the person with the highest voice sing the tenor part, that's the one, one chord tone above the lead, and the person with the lowest voice sing the baritone, that's generally what I did because I have this baritone type of voice, which is getting even more baritone over the years. Of course, melodies move up and down, and it is important that each person is able to sing all of the required notes for their part. That is called the range of the part. If we look at the melody of Boiling Cabbage Down again, we can see that the lead singer's highest note is a C and their lowest note is a G. That is a pretty narrow range of notes and should be pretty easy for almost anyone to sing. In fact, the melody only uses four notes, G, A, B, and C. If a person could sing those four notes, they can sing the lead to boil him cabbage down in the key of G, or in whatever key suits their voice, I'll add that. All right, now let's, let's listen to another little example because maybe you're zoning out on my teaching material here. Let's listen to example two. This is another trio. Standard bluegrass trio. Lead in the middle. And by the way, as you're listening to a song, and there's a little section in here about song arranging later, which I'm not going into, but listen to the lead singer. Generally, you'll hear them sing a verse, and then they come in with a chorus. So you kind of get used to following the sound of the lead singer. And then as the chorus comes in, try to continue following the lead singer. And that way you can determine which is the lead part 
of the chorus. And of course, the tenor singer will be above and the baritone below in the standard bluegrass trio. So let's listen to this. This is a little trick that is often done. We did it in Cedar Hill and Pony Express and Bill Monroe did it. Ever, It's very common for this technique. And that is you have a lead singer who has a very high range and can be a, an excellent tenor singer, but he's also the band leader or he's singing lead on the song. So the lead singer with his high voice, he sings the lead. And then when they go to the chorus, he switches parts. He gives up the lead vocal in the chorus to someone else. And he jumps up one chord tone above and sings tenor on the chorus. Very, very commonly done in, in bluegrass circles. In other words, bluegrassers are not so proud that they demand to sing lead all the way straight through the tune. Sometimes when you hit the chorus, the lead singer switches to tenor if he has a high voice and is a better tenor singer. And this is an example. This is No Mother or Dad, written by Curly Seckler. This is Boone Creek. Boone Creek, the great training ground for so many bluegrassers who came up in, you know, in the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s and 90s, listening to this Boone Creek stuff. And it, of course, <clears throat> this is off the album One Way Track, Sugar Hill 3701. It's Ricky Skaggs singing lead and then switching up to tenor on the choruses. Wes Golding singing lead on the chorus. This is something I used to do a lot in Cedar Hill. You know, if Bob McIsaac was singing lead on a tune, when we got to the chorus, he would often jump up to the tenor, and then I was assigned to sing the lead throughout the chorus. So I knew the choruses to all these songs, you know. I was like a chorus singer. The same was true for baritone. <clears throat> and then we have, this is, might be news to you, uh, Jerry Douglas is singing baritone. So the stack you will hear in the chorus is Skaggs singing tenor on the chorus. He was singing lead on the verses. Wes Golding, lead on the chorus, and Jerry Douglas singing a wonderful, round, warm, baritone part. So let's listen to this one. It's what I would call an example of the tenor swap, but this is still a standard formatted bluegrass trio, no mother or dad. Mother, 
All right. I'm telling you what, Boone Creek is the uh, school of harmonizing. And there are other schools, too. There are plenty of others. We'll get to some more, too. But uh, back to the book. Let's hit the books. At the beginning of this explanation, I said, a G chord consists of three notes, G, B, and D. However, there are more than one G, B, or D notes available. If you walked up to a piano and played middle C, you can count up or down 12 keys and find another C and count up 12 more, and another, and another. These notes are called octaves. The distance from one C to the next higher or lower C is an octave. This octave principle is true for any note. Count all the keys on a piano, that's 88, and divide by 12, and you'll see that there are over seven octaves present on the instrument. Luckily, the human singing range is just a couple of octaves, so you don't have to worry about trying to sing those super high notes or super low notes that you'd find on a piano or in an orchestra. And then on page 28 of this example, it says, here are more G chord notes. And I simply show a series of G chord notes from really low to high. In other words, it's not just one octave. So here's a G chord on a guitar. Those are all G chord notes, and they, they extend beyond one octave. And again, if you need some theory knowledge, mandolin players, check out my book, Mandolin Masterclass. You'll find it at bradleylaird.com. Banjo players, check out the Flint Hill Scrolls, which you will also find on bradleylaird.com. The rest of you, oh, and bass players can uh, scope out my bass material as well, the Bluegrass Bass Instruction Course. But this knowledge is out there. What we're talking about is a G chord, while it's GBD, is a series of GBD, 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 GBD. It's a whole bunch of them. And each one is an octave higher or lower. <clears throat> now, here's something I want you to do. Ask your piano playing friend to play these notes for you. Now, if you play the piano and you read standard notation, go play them. And if you don't, just stop right here. Go find a piano player and do this. I'm, I can't play every bit of this for you. But I want you to hear that a G chord could be built from any of those notes. So go find your piano player and, and listen to these. Or take the time to understand how to read standard notation and buy a cheap Casio keyboard at Walmart and do the same thing. The notes in order in measure one are G, B, D, G. You can see we've already gone up an octave in measure one. We start on G and end on G. Measure two continues with B, D, G, and a high B note. All those notes are G chord notes since they all are G, B, or D. The reason I'm showing you a range of possible G chord notes is because the lead or melody part will not always stay on a B note. It is important. It, here's the important thing to remember. When on a G chord, find the lead singer's note and the tenor will be the next chord note above it and the baritone will be the chord note below it. What if the lead singer sings this G note during a G chord? And if you have the document, you're looking at it. 
That's that whole series of G chord notes, and there's an arrow pointing at a G note. That's where the lead singer presently is while the band is playing a G chord. He's singing a G, the band's playing a G chord. And if you look, the tenor will be the next note up, and the baritone will be the next note down. Answer, if the lead is singing G during a G chord, the tenor sings the B above and the baritone sings the D below. And if you're just like listening to a podcast as a as an insomnia cure and, and trying to go to sleep, and this is more for entertainment than anything else, I get it. And hopefully you are sound asleep by now. The lulling sound of my voice droning on about you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're into this, look at the document. Listen to it along with the podcast, podcast, not podcast, and then try to understand this stuff. <clears throat> okay, that style of singing is the typical way in which notes are stacked when singing bluegrass trios. This is called close harmony because the harmony parts are always singing the nearest possible chord note to the lead part. If the tenor singer should skip over his or her note, and sing the second note above the lead, it creates a problem for the baritone singer. If the tenor singer shoots too high and sings a D note, they have stepped on the baritone's proper note. This would force the baritone singer to jump over the lead singer to sing the missing B note or to go way down to a lower B note. Now that is sometimes done we had tunes where, as a baritone singer, I had to sometimes be below the lead and sometimes above. And that was because sometimes the lead went so low that we would stack the chord above the lead rather than below, or rather than on each side. All right. So just, if you think about that, that extended series of chord notes in multiple octaves, just remember that the standard method of stacking a bluegrass trio's lead in the middle, baritone one chord tone below, and a tenor one chord tone above. <clears throat> this brings up another general rule. I'm now on page 29 of that little document. They're numbered because that's how they came out of the original book. The general rule is all three parts sing different notes, and that may seem kind of dumb to you, like of course they do, but my God, how many times have I heard just haphazard, off-the-cuff, uh, jam sessions singing, or, or even, you know, sometimes in bands, where I'm hearing a lot of people singing the same note. Back to my text. If you are singing the same note as the lead singer, you are singing unison, which is not harmony. Or, if you are singing an octave of someone else's note, you're not really creating harmony. Everybody has their own note and it takes two notes to create harmony and a minimum of three notes to build a chord. So far, we've only talked about what note each part takes during the G chord. What happens when the chord changes to C or D or any other chord? The same rules apply, but the, you use the C chord notes to select from, or D chord notes, or any other chord, wherever the song goes. If it goes to A minor, you're going to select these notes from the A minor chord. Sometimes when you're trying to figure out each person's part, it is helpful for the banjo player or the guitar player 
to play the notes of the current chord. Because typically, you know, the phrases of songs in bluegrass style singing will begin on a chord tone and end on a chord tone. They may move around a little bit in between, but generally launch points and landing points are chord tones. So to hear those notes, have somebody just strum a few notes on the, on the chord. You just heard a bunch of G chord notes. I'll bet you a million dollars that if you were about to sing a bluegrass trio on a G chord, your starting note would probably 99.9% of the time be one of those notes. And you just heard them. That's anyway, it's difficult to explain this without going into some discussion about music theory. If you would like to learn more about these things, I would suggest that you explore some of my other resources which are listed in the additional resources section, which is the last page of the document. Generally, just go to bradleylaird.com and you'll find all this stuff. On the next page, I will show you the three vocal parts for Boil Him Cabbage Down and discuss them a little bit because I want to hear Boil Him Cabbage Down sung more often and sung very well. You know, <clears throat> I'd love to hear a third time out version of Boil Him Cabbage Down. Wouldn't you? Maybe they've done it. I don't know. I'm not aware of it, but by God, they ought to. All right, there's a whole section there talking about typical bluegrass song arrangements. I encourage you to read that and understand it. Now we'll go to page 30. All right, now here are, I wrote out for you, the three parts in the standard bluegrass stack. Lead in the middle, tenor, one chord tone above, and baritone one chord below and just want to talk about each one here's the lead part i'm going to try to play it on a guitar and by the way i didn't even tune this thing to a tuner so if i'm a half step off you know sorry just play it on your guitar okay so i simplified the rhythm when we say boil them cabbage down bake them hoe cakes brown we're putting a little rhythmic stuff in it, but I wrote this really simple and straight, so I'm gonna play it straight. Let me do that again. <laughs> oh, crop duster going over at the proper time. I'm trying to hold. All right, let's do that again. So here we go, boiling cabbage down. This is the lead part. C C B B B B A B B B B C C C C B B A A G. That's your lead part. Now, tenor. Here's a tenor vocal part. Notice that the tenor is singing the next higher chord note. Notice how the note remains the same when going from G to D in measure four. That's kind of important. Think about it. Look at the tenor part on page 30 of the document and you'll see it's b b it's d d d d e e d d d d d when you get to the fourth measure it stays on d and this is a 
um, a feature you should notice about bluegrass trio singing is that sometimes the chord changes and you you have this internal sense that, well, the chord changes, my note needs to change, but not necessarily so. Here's a case where in measure three, you're singing a D note on Bake Them Ho Cakes. You're singing a D note, which is a note of the G chord, and then the chord changes to D, and you continue singing the same note because D is found in the D chord. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. If you don't, just learn these. Get your piano playing ant and three of you bluegrass wannabes stand around and get this person to play these notes and you learn to sing them. So, Bill, you sing the lead. Molly, you sing tenor. And Ralph, you sing baritone. Here's your part. Get it learned real good and then do it all together. And by golly, you'll be making a bluegrass trio on Boiling Cabbage Down. I'm not going to belabor all this. I could, I could talk for three or four days about this one page here. I'm just going to suggest that you find someone who can play these parts for you and learn them. Don't learn it from this podcast. Go to an instrument. If you don't know how to read this stuff, figure out how. And then, if you don't know how to play that note, a D note, if you don't know how to play a D note on your mandolin, banjo, dobro, upright bass, piano, didgeridoo, figure it out. I can't do it all the work for you. Now, moving down to the baritone part, here's the baritone vocal part. The baritone is, this is important. The baritone is always supplying the missing third note of the current chord. Notice how the baritone sings the same note for the first three measures. So it's going from G to C and back to G. The baritone is singing nothing but a G note. Finally, when you get to the D chord, the baritone drops a half step down to an F sharp. Then it's back to G for two more measures, then finally down to F sharp and a low D at the end. If you sing the baritone part alone, it sounds pretty strange. But put the three together and you have an amazingly good sounding chord if everyone sings, this is important, the correct notes and sings them in tune. All right, that's enough about that. But that page explains a lot. Okay, let's move to the next page. More complex melodies. I have explained the basic idea behind the three-part bluegrass-style harmony singing, standard stack. I selected a song, let me put this guitar out of the way here, in which the lead singer is always singing a chord note, the boiling cabbage down. Be aware that not every song is that simple. Sometimes the melody begins on a phrase, on, begins a phrase on a chord note, drifts around to some other scale notes or even non-scale notes, and then lands back on a chord note. Look at the melody of Little Maggie, and I'll show you what I mean. So, here's Little Maggie. Let me get my guitar again, see if I can play this. That's what's written there. And you'll see 
when you get to yonder, it's a G chord and you're singing a G note. And then the word stands, you're on a D note. Stands little, those are G chord notes. So the first three measures of that example are exactly like what we saw in Boiling Cabbage Down. All the melody notes are chord tones of the current chord. Then you get to the F chord and you see A, G, F. Well, A is an F chord note, G is not, and then F is. So they're intervening non-chord tones. And here's the way I wrote it. On the words, over yonder stands little Maggie, the lead singer is singing only chord tones, chord notes. But look at the notes on the word Maggie. The chord is an F, and the singer starts on an F chord note, an A note, but then drops to a G note briefly, which is not an F chord note. Then the singer lands back on an F note, which once again is an F chord note. These are, um, this is the way melodies go. I mean, they just move around. Now, if you analyzed it, you're on an F chord and briefly you're singing a G note. You're singing an F7 chord, but the chord really doesn't change. We don't, we don't play every chord that is heard, but as that G happens, Another harmony is created. A four-note harmony is briefly created with a G on top of an F chord. Did I say I said a seventh? Actually, that would be a ninth. Uh, without going into some pretty involved music theory, just notice that most phrases start and end on chord notes. So get those uh, notes stacked up correctly first then figure out how to handle those moving in-between notes. Sometimes a harmonizing part will move similarly to follow the movement of the lead part. And sometimes it sounds better just to stay on your original note and let the lead singer do his or her thing. Listen to some other bands and how they handle harmonies. And experiment until you find parts which you think sound good. Because you think they sound good, they probably are good. You don't have to necessarily know why. Okay? I didn't say that in here. There are lots of possible ways to harmonize which sound good, and this basic primer is just designed to get you started with a very simple tune. It is important that you figure out most of this on your own. If I wrote out harmony parts for every song, you would never learn to figure them out on your own. Learn this easy one first. Boil them cabbage down. Make it sound great. And then begin to try other songs and figure them out for yourself as a group. I'm not being lazy. I just want you to learn the skill. And you need to do that with experimentation over time. All right. How to Now we've covered the standard bluegrass trio stack. Lead in the middle, tenor one chord tone above, baritone one chord tone below. How to create duets. What do you do when you only have two singers? Duets are very common in bluegrass, and they're pretty easy to create. They're easier than trios. You simply omit the baritone part. A standard bluegrass duet consists of the lead part with a tenor above. You figure out the tenor part the same way as you did 
constructing a trio. There is one added freedom, which comes with eliminating the baritone part, besides the fact that the money splits better. You could eliminate the baritone person. Remember how I warned you about the tenor singer shooting too high and skipping over the next available chord tone to one even higher? That created a problem for the baritone singer. But with no baritone singer, there's no problem. That might be why there are so many duets out there. I'm not saying the tenor singer should do this often, but if it happens that the tenor singer just wants to go really high and you think it sounds good, then it's okay to do it. If you plan on including a baritone singer at some point, it is best to stick with the normal close harmony of selecting the nearest chord note above the lead part. With that, let us now listen to my fourth example. This is, um, uh, let's see, where am I? This is going to be an example of a duet. Hold on a second. I got to rattle my papers a little bit. Okay. This will be a duet. This is off the classic Skaggs and Rice album. Ah, let's see. Example four. Oh, do, 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 do. I have way too many notes here. Well, I know this is off Skaggs and Rice. Let me. Can't find it. Stand by. Huh. Ah, here we go. It was right in front of me the whole time. Isn't that funny how that is? You're looking for something and then there it is, right in front of you, looking right past it. So here's an example of a duet. So you could say this is a standard trio with the baritone removed. And then the tenor singer then has the freedom to potentially sing some baritone notes up above the lead which would frustrate and infuriate the baritone singer. But he's free to do it. Uh, The only thing he shouldn't do and generally doesn't do is, think about this. You got lead on a note and the tenor is one chord tone above. If he's really feeling his oats and he goes one more chord tone above, he is now singing an octave above the baritone. And that's the no-no in tenor sing in in trio singing but let's say he's really feeling wild instead of singing his tenor or the baritone he even goes even higher well now he's singing an octave of the lead that ain't gonna sound good although you do hear it i've heard it in some del mccurry band recordings sometimes that's just what you feel like doing you know so i'm not saying you have to follow these rules they're not dogma They're just suggestions. If you want that real rich harmonies, you typically don't do that. You don't sing octaves and you don't step on the baritone singer's notes. But you also want a good killer tenor. And this is a great example. This is, God, everybody does this song. And if you do this song, friends, and haven't heard this, I suggest you listen to this. This is Bury Me Beneath the Willow, Skaggs and Rice. It's uh, obviously Tony Rice singing lead, Ricky Skaggs singing tenor. And he's got some freedom there because there's no baritone. And by the way, these records, these, this Skaggs and Rice record, any duet record, is a wonderful training ground for you as a budding baritone singer. 
see if you can find the missing baritone part and sing it. And you'll hear what they sounded like with a trio. So anyway, here we go. A little bit of Bury Me Beneath the Will off Skaggs and Rice, which was uh, Sugar Hill 3711. Skaggs and Rice are not the only great duet singers. Here's another example. And by the way, both these examples, both Skaggs and Rice and what we're about to hear, are good examples of people whose voices just blend together superbly. That's important. This is Reno and Smiley, Don Reno and Red Smiley off King Records, number 701. This is the Lonesome Wind Blues. Just listen to this. This is... Uh, Pretty classic duet singing. I hear the wind blowing through the lonesome pine, and I know my love has gone blue. I hear the wind blowing through the lonesome So if you don't have a baritone, you still don't have an excuse. You can sing great bluegrass music and not have a baritone. Oh, and by the way, I'm not even going to get into the discussion of whether or not you should include bass. It's often included in the uh, sacred numbers, as it were. All right, back to the text of the little handout. Are there other ways to stack harmonies in bluegrass? Yes, there are. What we have discussed is the typical way to stack up arrange bluegrass vocal parts lead in the middle baritone below and tenor above this is the most common arranging system however it is possible to sing all those same notes correctly 
using a couple of other common bluegrass trio arranging stacks. Here they are with the parts shown stacked from highest on top to lowest on bottom. So if you're looking at your little handout, you'll see standard trio. And that is tenor on top, lead in the middle, baritone below. And remember, the starting and ending notes of each phrase are a chord tone different. One chord tone above the lead gives you the tenor. One chord tone below gives you the baritone starting note. That's the standard trio. Then we have high lead, which is the lead is now on top. You hear this predominantly with female singers, where the, the singer has such a high voice that the, the men in the group can't sing above it. So they stack the harmonies below. And what you have is lead on top, baritone below, as usual, one chord tone below. And then you have what's known as low tenor. And that is simply the original tenor just sung an octave lower. Then you can also stack it high baritone. That is lead on the bottom. And then tenor above, as usual. And then the high baritone is simply the baritone part taken up one octave. So they're all still one chord tone apart. There are no big gaps in this. Every part in all three methods are one chord, a chord tone apart. So if all of those were G chords, every one of those would be G, B, or D. That's it. And it'd be the next one. So if you're on G, you know, the, the next higher note is a B and the next higher note is a D. Okay, back to my text. Well, well let's listen let's, let's to an example. This example that you're going to hear is... Cedar Hill, the band I played in. And I chose this not, well, really I chose it to prove a point that you don't have to be the world's greatest singers in order to produce good sounding music. If you apply yourself and you work at it and you, you know, I mean, there are certain basic requirements like being able to figure out your note and sing it in tune. Uh, but I picked this because if I played you the original, which is the Osborne Brothers, or if I played you the version with Vince Gill singing lead on the Here Today record, um, you might think, well, of course Vince Gill can do it, but I can't do it. Well, what you're about to hear is just regular folks like you. It's... Um, Cedar Hill, my, uh, the band I was in from 83 to, uh, well, 27 years. And uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how we, how we sang this thing. I thought I wrote it down. I guess I didn't. Anyway, it's Jeff Johnson uh, singing high lead. So this is that high lead stack, which you hear in many Osborne Brothers uh, arrangements. They This is their tune, their arrangement um I'm trying to remember who wrote this thing i just i have so many notes here i've just lost track uh, anyway i mean it is important but it's not oh wait, here we go here we go dusty owens um the original version came out in 1957 on the by the osborne brothers 
And once you notice something about this, uh, uh, they, by the way, the Osborne brothers uh, produced some of the finest trio singing ever in bluegrass and inspired many of the great uh, bluegrass harmony sing singers and bands that you hear today because they listened to this stuff and uh, imitated it and innovated on it. But the, the original was... 1957, and they were attempting to, well, part of their their logic on this was Bobby had a really high voice, so just put him on top, and we'll just take the tenor down an octave. So it's lead on top, baritone in the middle, and low tenor. It's a wonderful stack if you've got a high, high lead singer. And uh, this is our version of it, and... Uh, it's it's sort of the harmonizing is sort of meant to um, imply the way a pedal steel operates, uh, the bending of notes and so on. So anyway, here is Cedar Hill, 1984. Jeff Johnson singing lead, um, me Brad Laird singing baritone, and Jim Atkins singing that low tenor part. This is from 1984 off our Mama Don't Allow album. So that is proof that even mere mortals can sound good. Now, if you really want to hear some really good version of it, go listen to the Osborne Brothers original recording and listen to that Here Today record. You want to hear Vince Gill sing it? Although, I'm telling you what, Jeff Johnson 
was a pretty good singer. That, that boy could sing. He is now the choral director at the University of Kentucky, old Jeff Johnson. Anyway, back to the text. Sometimes with female singers or males with very high vocal ranges, it is better to place the lead part on top. If you have a powerful lead singer who likes to sing high, it is sometimes hard to find someone who can sing tenor above that person. The solution is called high lead. The baritone part is the same as before. That is, the baritone sings the closest chord note below the lead part. The low tenor is simply the normal tenor part sung one octave lower. This puts the tenor on the bottom of the stack. In this case, the person with the lowest pitch voice should sing low tenor. And a little aside here, listen to um, any many of the female bluegrass singers, Alison Krauss records and stuff. You're going to hear this exact same high lead stack where your lead singers are the highest voice, so you stack them below. All right. Now, since I was talking about the Osborne brothers and what masters they are, let's listen to them do this very thing. High lead harmonizing style or stack. Um, first, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Take This Hammer. And let's see, Take This Hammer. Both of these songs are off of Voices in Bluegrass, uh, which was an MCA. Uh, my version is MCA 105. Uh, but it was an earlier Decca recording, so I don't really know the date of it. But anyway, let's listen to a little bit of Take This Hammer. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Take this hammer, carry it to the captain. Tell him I'm gone, tell him I'm gone. If he asks you, was I running? If he asks you, was I running? If he So that's what you do when you got a high voice lead singer. Back to my text. Sometimes if you have a lead singer with a low pitch voice, let me come back to that. Let's just, I'm enjoying this so much. Let's hear a little more of the Osborne brothers. This is that high lead stack on pathway of teardrops off the same album. Still I let you go 
man, these guys are great. And by the way, you know, Sonny and Bobby are still kicking. You know, if you have any questions, just call them up and ask them. Or in Sonny's case, go to uh, Bluegrass Today, the, the website, and uh, bluegrasstoday.com, I believe. And he has a column called Ask Sonny Anything. So go on there and tell him you heard this on the podcast and ask him anything. <laughs> and he'll answer. And, of course, Bobby's, Bobby's around, too. So, um, you know, you, you have questions, go to the source. All right, next, sometimes, back to my text, middle of page 32, sometimes if you have a lead singer with a low-pitched voice, like me, well, I have a low-pitched voice right now. You ought to hear some recordings from back in the 80s where I was singing, like, really, really high. If you have a singer with a low-pitched voice, it might be better to put the lead on the bottom of the stack. This is called high baritone, or you could call it low lead. The lead singer is on the bottom, and the tenor part is just above in the normal way, and the baritone is above the tenor, singing the usual baritone part, but up one octave. In this case, the person with the highest pitch voice should sing the top note, the high baritone part. So sometimes when you're hearing something like this, you go, oh, he's a tenor singer, because he's singing the highest note, but he's actually singing that high baritone and the tenor is in between the high baritone and the lead. So that's what I call a low stack or a high baritone stack. And I want to play a, a little example. But first, I'll read this. Remember when stacking in these optional ways, tenor doesn't always mean the highest singer. I think I just said that. And baritone doesn't always mean the low pitch singer. In the standard trio, it is true that the tenor sings the high part and the baritone sings the low part. But not in the high lead, not in the high baritone. These are just different ways of stacking up GBD or CEG. You know, it's just three notes of the chord is just which one do you put on bottom or top or in the middle. Let's listen to a, this is a wonderful example of what it, how you stack, how you can stack up the harmonies when you got a really low pitched lead singer. And a good example here is Adam Steffi. This is off of Alison Krauss and Union Station. The album So Long, So Wrong, 1997. And this is a song called No Place to Hide. And they featured Adam Steffi singing the lead. And he's got a pretty low voice, which you hear him, you know, belting out that baritone and stuff on other tunes. But he's singing lead on this, he's got a low register. And uh, so it made sense to them to stack the parts above him. So we, we have Ron Block singing tenor above the lead. And we have Dan Tominski singing that high baritone. So listen to this. This is um, just a, a wonderful example of that high baritone stack, which has the lead on the bottom. To watch the rain I'd stand under the downspout Let the water cool my brain I never thought to worry If the river rose too high That all the seeds we planted 
would get washed out with the tide But now I am a man And I need a place to hide But there's nowhere to run And there's no place to hide Where the water runs free And the mud starts to slide Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, the guys in Cedar Hill used to always bug me saying, you ought to do that song. You ought to do that song. That fits your range just perfect. <laughs> I don't know. For whatever reason, I never did learn it. All right, back to my text. <clears throat> I think it's important to always put your lead singer in their best possible range. Sometimes it means that the song needs to be played in another key. Please, people, get out of G&A once in a while. There are more keys than just G, A, C, D. How about F? I mean, I'd even go E flat just for a break, okay? Find whoever's singing lead, find the key that suits their voice best, and then organize your stack, either the standard trio, the high lead, or the high baritone, around that best possible lead singer. And of course... There will be times it, when you just simply can't find, like, <clears throat> let's say you're doing the standard trio and the lead has picked his key and your baritone singer can't really get grind down there low enough to make a good baritone part. Or opposite, the lead singer picks his, his uh best key where his entire range of the melody sounds best and the tenor part is just squeaking and straining and that ain't going to work either and so try these other stacks try the high lead or the high baritone and sometimes you'll just solve these problems ultimately you want all of the singers singing within their comfortable range okay Back to my text. And then secondly, stack the other vocal parts so that every singer is singing in his or her natural range, forcing someone to hit notes which are not easily reached by their pipes and training is a recipe for disaster and lousy pitch. <clears throat> training and practice can increase the range of most singers' voices, but demanding that someone hit a note which is obviously too low or too high for them to sing clearly and easily is going to create lousy music, bad attitudes, and cringing audiences. Perhaps moving the key up or down a bit will allow everyone to sound good. In other words, sometimes maybe the singer is just dead set, key of F, key of F, key of F, key of F. This is my best. But one of the harmonizers is having a little trouble, and you go, well, you know what? Let's just do F sharp. Or let's just do E. You know, you gotta, you might be harming the lead singer just a little bit helping the other, you know, you know what I'm saying? You gotta look at the whole group in total. In short, be sure the lead singer is happy with the key, then try the standard trio system. If everyone is singing well and within their natural range, you will be off to a good start. If someone is straining, try to move the key up or down a little, or try one of the other stacking systems. 
All right. Now, I am going to close out. <clears throat> I debated whether I should even do this. Um, oh, and, and by the way, the last page says additional resources that just give you some uh, suggestions. If you a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of free info on my site at bradleylair.com. Go check it out. I do, do play those um, notes of boiling cabbage down. In fact, the first person who sends me their band singing Boil Him Cabbage Down as a trio, singing these parts, and sends me a recording of it, I'll put it on the show and I'll send you a hundred bucks worth of free stuff off my site. Because I'd like to hear it. I would just like to know that somebody actually did what I suggested. So get your band together. Sing those parts and play me a killer version of Boil Him Cabbage Down in any key you choose and use that um, the trio system, standard trio, or the high um, leader, high baritone. Whatever you want to do. And uh, if you want to introduce yourself on the tape and send me the tape, I will put it on the show. That would be super cool. And of course, you know, plug your band or whatever you want me to do. And send you a hundred bucks worth of my free junk. <laughs> Just in case, you, you know, you need a dulcimer instruction course or a, uh, a bunch of jam tracks or something. Just that would be cool. I'm happy to do that. Um, so the first person that does that, the first trio that does that, uh, gets the, the goodies. So anyway, I want to close out today with a tune called She's Gone, Gone, Gone. This is another example of a wonderful trio. And now this song, I want to tell you a little bit about this song. This song was written by Harlan Howard. This is a country song. And he wrote it for Lefty Frizzell. And it came out in 1965. You know, Lefty Frizzell, Saginaw, Michigan, and all that. Well, he did this song, Gone, Gone, Gone. She's Gone, Gone, Gone. It got covered by quite a few people, including Glenn Campbell. Uh, so uh, you guys, uh, we played this uh, last night at Pat's place. Pat singing it, and we all play it. We do it almost every week there, and I did it for years in Cedar Hill. This is one that I used to sing lead on. I always liked the song. But, uh, you know, it would do well for people who are going to sing a song to go back and listen to a bunch of different versions of it. Certainly listen to Lefty Frizzell because he's singing, you know, what would probably be considered the original version. And it's been covered by Glenn Campbell. You should hear that one, too. That's pretty cool. Carl Jackson did it. I'm sure a bunch of people did it. But uh, the one that I'm most familiar with and the one, the record that I learned it from is off a of J.D. Crow and the New South record. And I'm trying to remember, let me look in my notes here. I think I have the the uh, the actual album. Do, 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 do. Yeah, here we go. This is J.D. Crow and the New South rounder number 0103 from 1979. Now, for you bluegrass purists, and you know I am one, but I'm also a closet traditional country fan, this record is perfect for me because it combines both. You know, it's J.D. Crow in the, uh, in the New South with Keith Whitley singing lead. And 
they got pedal steel and they got some drums and it is super 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 cool it's at times it's almost more like traditional country with a banjo and a mandolin and a fiddle well of course fiddle would be part of it anyway it's a great album regardless of how you look at uh you know purity you know but hey i'm not faulting jd crow for trying to make a living you know what i'm saying here a little drums and a steel god bless them but i want you to listen to this this is uh, your standard trio stack with um just some fabulous playing and singing you, you just can't get any i mean listen to lefty frizzell sing gone 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 and then listen to Keith Whitley sing it. He doesn't monkey around with it. It's pretty much the same. And listen to Glenn Campbell do it. He does monkey around with it a little bit. But these are very talented singers singing the same song. And just I think it's just helpful to uh, listen to different people's take on it. Whitley doesn't really change it and alter it that much. But he's singing it as Keith Whitley, you know? And I sang it the way I sang it. And Pat sings it the way he sings it. You know, you got to put yourself into it too. And I encourage that. But I just think this is probably, uh, to me, the finest version of this that's ever been recorded. Keith Whitley singing lead, Jimmy Goodrow singing tenor, and J.D. Crow singing baritone. He is the exemplar of baritone singing, as I think Jerry Douglas would be too. And maybe even David Christman. I've heard him do the same thing where the baritone is made so round and full that it's felt more than heard. But when it's gone, it's like, whoa, what happened? It's like when your guitar player breaks a string and suddenly the guitar drops out. Then you notice the guitar isn't there. But when he is there, you don't really, you feel it more than you hear it. You follow me? I'm talking rhythm guitar. Anyway, Let's just go out with a little bit of this greatest version ever of Gone, Gone, Gone. J.D. Crow in the New South, Keith Whitley singing lead. Y'all enjoy a little bit of this and uh, take care. Talk to you in the next episode.
Yeah. 